Hi, and welcome to Apple Jam, a place where my friend Neil McCutcheon and myself, Bernardo Morales, discuss Beatles and Beatle-related records. These conversations are hosted in Clubhouse, where we meet every two weeks to discuss an album. We'd like to invite you to join the Apple Jam Club in Clubhouse and to follow us on Instagram. Now, without any further ado, here's the episode. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, this week we're going to talk about Plastic Ono Band and... Uh, um, discuss that rather groundbreaking album again, a bit like um, Revolver last time. Bernardo, we sort of said it's very hard to get into the mindset of what it must have been like to hear it at the time. Mm, definitely. I mean, nowadays it's just so normal to hear albums like this, and people would go back and they think, yeah, it's just a you know, it's just a kind of personal album. It is, yes. It's. I think this particular lab, particular album, uh, Plastic Ono Band, is is it's a very special record. It's, it's the third solo Beatle album, right? Or is it the fourth? Um, let me think. <laughs> it's what was the first then? Um, I think Ringo released Sentimental Journey first, then Paul released McCartney, and I think George released All Things Must Pass. And then oh, so this is the fourth. If you don't count Wonderwall and all those kind of things as well. Yeah. Well, not, so not post, I mean, post Beatles. Yeah. So, of course, just to recap on the history, they had really broken up um, properly the previous December, but then officially they broke up in April when Paul announced it. I mean, nobody picked up on it before. It had been in the press. Uh, it had been sort of leaked in an article, but it had just gone under the radar. So April is when the Beatles break up officially, and everybody knows about it. So this is kind of conceived and recorded in the months after that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that they all the Beatles did, well, both John and Paul did a lo-fi album, right? Yes, although this is less lo-fi, perhaps than 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 the original that's right. album. Yeah, that's right. But it's 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 nothing like the Beatles, so it's really drawing a line. There's nothing Beatley on here much at all, although they do get a mention. They do get a men mention. It, there are no toe tappers in this album, definitely. Interesting. So that's right. Yeah, that's interesting. So the songs kind of follow his emotional journey they're more like um kind of soul expressions or whatever they're not really pop songs they they kind of they don't really have choruses eh yep so that brings me to my first question to you neil do you like mm -hmm. this album yes i like most of it um i i think when it when i first heard it as a teenager this was the one that really you know did it for me because i was I don't know how old I must have been, say, 14 or maybe 15, probably 14 when I first heard it. And, you know, I just I, I just loved that aesthetic that he was going right to the heart and being really vulnerable and really, you know, expressive and just so personal. And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever because I don't think I'd heard any other music that did that at that point. I mean, it did exist, but I hadn't heard it. So this was the first heart-on-sleeve rock music that I'd heard. 
Yeah. Um, I don't like all of it, but I, uh, I like it as it, you know, because it packs a punch. What about yes. you? Did, did you? You don't find it too raw? Well, at first, um, how I came across this album was a little bit strange because, as I told you in, in the last, um, would you call it, episode, um, it was very difficult to find John Lennon or Paul McCartney solo albums or George Harrison solo albums at the time. So I had a friend who had this kind of four CD collection called, the, it was just called Lennon, and I think it was released in 1990. I know that one. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that. On the cover, you see like a photo of John wearing a hat um, and sunglasses. So Yes, that's right. And he had almost all the songs of most albums. Um, yes. And, and he had a few songs from Plastic Ono Band. And I also had that greatest hit album called the John Lennon Collection, which had that's right. Instant Karma and Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until much later that, that I actually had Plastic Ono Band and, and, and kind of saw it as one individual album. Um, yeah, interesting. Yep. So, so yeah, so I knew a lot of the songs by the time I heard uh, Plastic Ono Band. And it's an album that kind of grew on me. Like at first, perhaps I wouldn't listen. To, I, I'd skip most of the songs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then as I grew older, I kind of got to like them more. Ex- okay. Most of them. Yeah, that um, that box set you're talking about, that used to appeal to me um, because, I mean, now I think I really appreciate Yoko's work that, that I've heard, but um, really? at the time I just thought, yeah, it's okay, like it's on Double Fantasy and uh, and Milk and Honey. But at the time you could get, on the CD4 there, you could get all the Lennon tracks from Double Fantasy and Milk and Honey without the Yoko tracks. <laughs> so it was like this John Lennon album that didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think this one had a bunch of songs from that concert they did in, in, in Toronto. Um, with Eric oh, Clapton really? Okay, yeah. oh, that's interesting. Okay, so yeah. Like Blue Suede Shoes and Dizzy Miss Lizzy and Year Blues and Colter. Yeah, I mean, that's that's another story. I mean, he nearly bottled out of that concert, right? Yeah. Bottled it because he was just so nervous and they hadn't really rehearsed. They tried to rehearse on the plane. And, that's and true, then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And I think there is no official release of that album. No, there is. Of course there is. Yeah, yeah. It's how it came out on Apple Records, and you can get it. Oh, yeah. is there really? Yeah, it's it. It looks really nice, uh, but it sounds really rough. So it's a blue sky with a little cloud on that it. That is true. That is true. And it's yes, light, light what you're talking about. Toronto. Yeah, it, it's a lovely looking thing, but you know, it's not the kind of thing you'd ever listen to. That's true. Um, um, with Plastic Ono Band. Um, um, one of the th- what do you think of the whole um, Yanov thing, the primal scream thing? Are you sort of aware of that? Or? Yeah, I read about it, and I've heard yeah. John talking about it as well. That he came across this um, kind of therapy thing, and 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 John never did anything half-assed, I guess. So he yep. got really into it, and mm-hmm. and yeah, and, and he used that as a, or through that, he wrote a lot of the songs for the album, right? That's right. So. Um, I, can't, I think he read the book first and he, he, he loved it and read it in one sitting. And then um, he told Yanov, oh, come to England. Um, and Yanov sort of said, I'm not going to go and treat some pop star, you know. <laughs> but his daughter was John Lennon fan. So she said, go and do it. So she sent 
Yanov over to Britain. Um, they did some sessions together, the primal scream sessions, and later on, Lennon and Yoko went out to L.A., and they were going to be there for several months and complete this course, but they got kicked out on August the 1st because their visa had run out. And I think even at that time, he wasn't popular with the U.S. authorities. I think they'd already started to accumulate a file on, on him. Was that because so, of the drug bust in, in 68? Yes, that was one of the things. And just because of the kind of new left activism that he was getting up to mm. at that time. So um, anyway, he came back, cut that therapy short, but still did quite a lot of it. And then... You know, that was the start of August, and so a lot of the writing for the album must have been immediately after that because they started recording the album in, in September. Yeah, and that's one of the things of John that, I, I, I don't know if, if it bothers me, but it's just that whenever he got into something, he'd just, like, get into it all the way, you know? <laughs> almost obsessive about it. Like, like, in, like me, when they met the Maharishi and they thought that he had all the answers. Um, That's right. And then as uh, something that I read recently um, with LSD, I had no idea that he was kind of taking a daily dose yeah. at one time. So, yeah, really immersed in that as well. Yeah, and then he got into heroin in the late 60s as well. He, yes. says, he said in an interview in, in 1970, in order to get away from it all, from all the pain of, of the breakup of the Beatles. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the, this is one of the albums where... I mean, this is the album where you see, um, and I think it quite surprised George um, to see that Lennon was, you know, rather a troubled character. I mean, he knew about this, the broken home and the fact that he's lost his mother and everything, but he didn't see all the trauma that there was until it came to recording and, I guess, listening back to this album. Mm. Because it's just all laid out there, isn't it? And the the primal scream idea was to sort of access these childhood traumas and kind of really touch base with them and so, somehow not escape from them, but sort of face them and work your way through them. And he, I think from interviews as well, he felt that he successfully did that through doing this. Um, so in the end, yes. he was. Uh, I think he was very happy after after recording this album. Yes, and, and you can hear it coming out in so many of the songs. Like it, we, I mean, we'll come to this when we discuss the songs. But the you know the themes of you know of confronting the world, of just being your yourself, being free of delusions and free of escapism, and just utterly sort of naked. You know. Yeah, that's true. Um, something he said. Um, is the fact that through with this album he he wrote all the songs about himself and that's pretty obvious. And he said that in the Beatles he only did that in a few songs, um, which were Amalusa, Help, Strawberry Fields, mm -hmm. yes, um, and something else. Can't remember. And it's some, it's very interesting because he really after that he then did Imagine, which was very similar. They were all very mm -hmm. autobiographical yeah. and 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 they had to do a lot about about him as a person. Um, and he really got away from writing kind of like love songs unless they were love songs to Yoko. That's um, right. And so, somebody um, said, I, one of the journalists said that it, oh, um, David Quantic, who uh -huh. you sometimes hear on Eggpod, 
he said it's a it's a it's a small concentrated concept album about yeah. John about himself. And, and the reason why I like some of the songs is because I can identify with his feelings, you know? Yeah. But Yeah Blues is the other one in that mm, list. Yeah Blues, that's that's yes. right. That's that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then after Imagine, his songwriting really went down a little bit, don't you think? With some time in New York City and mind games. Um, is that very I, controversial? I, I, I'm going to say with some time in New York City, there's not a lot that jumps out at me about that album. But I think there's some great stuff on mind games. Like I think You Are Here is a great song. I think Free to People is a great yeah, song. Free to People is an underrated uh, song, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mind Games is is pretty good. I guess he he well, lost touch, production. He lost touch with something like it. I think songwriting became more of a sort of habitual thing. I don't know if he was trying to fulfill contracts and everything. I mean, I see Instant Karma actually as the start of a kind of decline in his songwriting because I honestly think anybody could have written Instant Karma. Maybe not the words. I mean, the words are quite John, but the melody is just. Is throwaway. I think you know. I, I yeah, that's controversial, but I, I I just think that's the start of the decline. And then stuff like Power to the People, I just you know it's almost unlistenable. Yeah, although it's it's pretty catchy. And this album, when this album came out in two thousand, there was a remix in two thousand. It's quite hard to get now. And uh, it had a song called either Do the Oz or God Save Oz. Um, and then that's been kind of quietly forgotten about because that really wasn't very good at all. Do you know that one? <laughs> yeah, I know it. I think I have it. I think because I've, I've bought the box set, um, and I think there is um there is an extra CD of like rarities, um, and and I think maybe that song is on it. I'm not sure. Okay, I mean it's it's sort of I haven't seen that song for a while. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's not the it's not one I look for, you know. But this album has some absolute classics, and like, I mean, if we if we start, I mean, I'd like to start about uh, talking about Mother. I mean, it is the first track, mm-hmm. and it was the first track to be recorded. So it's a good place to start. Now, I just think Mother is absolutely the best John Lennon song of his entire solo career. I think it's just incredible. You like it that much? Absolutely. And it wasn't until recent years. It wasn't until, you know, maybe four or five years ago that it just hit me how amazing it is. I think it's completely soulful. Um, You know, he's using all of his melodic power there. It's really passionate. The piano is just, I mean, the recording of the piano and the drums is so... The energy is very raw on that piano playing. And this this piano, you know, it's so resonant. And I I, I just think it's an incredible track, you know. It's a great track. One of these artists where his first track was the best thing he ever did. I don't know about that statement, though. I, I really like some of the late latest stuff he did um, I really I, I like some of the double fantasy stuff mm. um, me too I love that too as, as I like some of his earlier albums yeah the first time I heard Mother was in the, in a soundtrack um, and it was oh. a 1988 Imagine film yes if you remember it uh, released by Warner Vaguely. Brothers there were so was, many Imagine films Bernardo that I get them mixed up now 
Yeah, you know? well, this one was um, kind of um, it was telling the story of the Beatles and John Lennon at the, at the same time, like um, okay, and and it was a pretty good film. Um, it, and the soundtrack had a live version. Um, okay, that I think from Madison Square Garden, nineteen seventy two. Uh, yes, sorry, I know that quite well. Yeah, because yeah. that came out on live in New York City. Mm. And that, that's a beautiful version. And that was the first time mm. I ever heard that song. Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely superb. And of course, he started doing it on, I think he started doing it on guitar. Yeah, is that right? I think so. Live? I think so. Um, it's on the Evolution mixes on the box set. So I right. think just on the demo, I think he demoed it on guitar and then took it onto piano. Um, I mean, he deliberately kept the piano really simple because I don't think he was, you know, that dexterous on the piano. But if, but I think it's good for the song, though. It's perfect. It's perfect yeah. for the song. What do you think of the screaming at the end? Oh, that's my favorite part of the song. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the best singing he's done. <laughs> it's 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 amazing. It's it's, it's he 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 lets himself lose control. But not too much, so it's still. I mean, it's not yelling and screaming, you know. But it is. It's right on the edge, you know. So it's it's, it's, it's well controlled hard. and and well. Um, I mean, he lets he lets go just enough and uh, to make it's it on, kind of on, wild on par with twist and shout. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, fantastic. Song. I think so. I've, I've got here a little bit of the live version. If you want to go hear on, it. yeah. Let's see. Can you hear it? Yes. Uh, this song is another song from one of those albums I made since uh, I left the Rolling Stones. And a lot of people thought it was just about my parents, but it's about 99% of the parents alive or half dead. Two, three, four. Mother, you had me, I never had you. So again, it's the performance is amazing. Yep, yep. Very, very passionate, because that's a kind of patchy concert. So, uh, the, you know, this one, he remembers all the words. Yeah, true of all the songs. <laughs> I mean, one of the things. Have you ever seen Nowhere Boy? The film Nowhere Boy. Um. Yes, I have. So, do you know, do you remember that bit where John has to choose between his mother and his father? Yeah, that was very sad. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that scene actually happened in real life or it's kind of uh, dramatized. But this song always makes me think of that. You know, it makes me think of him, sort of caught there, and uh, you know, you. C you just can't fail to be touched by the this feeling of you know abandonment. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, I know it's horrible, um, and I think you can always identify with that song if you lose your parents. Um, and because when I yes. lost my dad, I could sort of I, in in a strange way because my dad was amazing, like he was he was yep. really nice and he was always very present. But you always think that they abandon you when they go away. I guess at first, and and you can yeah be a little bit angry with life. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, what's ironic, of course, is that John was had abandoned Julian, so he was repeating the pattern. I don't know how aware of it he was. I don't know how 
I mean, presumably he was, but I, I don't know. I used to think, I used to think in the third verse that he was singing, Julian, don't do <laughs> what I have done. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very yeah. strange that he was a very absent father to him. But then he was so present for, I mean, Julian must be so jealous of Sean. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I think John really made an effort to um, to uh, reintegrate him. You know, for example, he got him in playing the drums on Yeah, Yeah, and so on. So I think he did make an effort in the final years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's a brilliant song. How about the bells at the beginning? Um, well, I, yeah, I like. I I remember um, being. I remember liking how they're impressed, uh, sort of repeated on Double Fantasy, so with the little chimes, and I think that's a nice touch. Yeah, this, he said in an interview that he heard the bells um, in a movie and that he really liked them, so he wanted. Oh, to I wonder which movie. I can't, I can't remember. Yeah, of course, ACDC did that with their song "Hell's Bells." I don't know if they realized. Um, I don't know if they'd he heard this or not, but it's exactly the same opening. You know, I wonder if it was just a sampled version of these bells. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if it was, they could get sued by Apco. <laughs> oh yeah. One of the things about Mother, have you noticed that the rhythm in the in the outro is irregular? So it's in not the, just it's not just one, two, three, four. It kind of misses beats. I'm not musical enough to say exactly what's happening there. But in the outro, you know, it's it's one of those things like, you know, with Here Comes the Sun, the rhythm is kind of irregular and, you know, R Ringo obviously keeps it together extremely well. And, um, you know, it's not just a straight four by four. Yeah. And again, Ringo is on drums here. So it makes sense that um, even though it's it was difficult, maybe you couldn't hear it as, um, as if someone else had been playing the drums. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, great production. At, at, really, uh, yeah, and a nice close recording on the drums as well. They're so clear. Yeah. And, and especially on the new mix, the 2021 mix, mm -hmm. just incredible. Did, did you buy the big box set for that one? <laughs> I did, I did. You did? Yeah, oh, I did. I, it's, I, I actually think, um, the, the, you know, it's not, it's, it's not worth it. it. I mean, it's... There are just so many different demos and kind of watching the songs evolve and everything like that. I think the evolution mixes are good, but you don't need that many versions. So, I mean, the only one that you'd really listen to a lot would be the album itself. Yeah. Um, but from those evolution mixes, there, there is one called the Raw Mixes. Yes. I think. Um, and yeah. I really like the, the version of Love um, from the Raw Oh, mix. well, we can play. Let's talk about Love next. Sure. So you said um, you first came across that perhaps when you had the John Lennon collection, because mm -hmm. yep. it was picked out then by uh, by the record company who thought who wanted to launch that, and they wanted a single to go with the album, and Love was the single, and they as, as far as I can remember they ruined the fade in because they mm -hmm. just had it start. Um, it's, it's certainly on the radio version, they just had it start with the piano full volume so that people wouldn't switch stations, you know. Yeah, because that's what I did, didn't like about that song. It was, it was so quiet. And, and, the, yeah. and the mix itself was really quiet from the old, um, like this new um, re remix is, is fine. But, um, but the old version was really quiet. 
really quiet. What do you what do you think of it? Do you like it as a song? I think it's a brilliant song. It's one of these. I think John Lennon writes some of the most beautiful love songs ever. I really yeah. like yeah. love yes. nearly as much as I like all my love from Imagine. Okay, yeah. Oh no, I prefer it. I, yeah. I, I prefer love to to that one. Uh, it's it's the melody is is just beautiful. I know it's it's simpler than a McCartney melody, um, but it's 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 at that level of of beauty. It's really excellent, and of course, Phil Spector's doing the piano here, which is wonderful. I think he just came out of the of the control room and said, "Look, I'll do it." Um, and it's, 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 I'm so glad that he did that. Yeah, yeah, me too. The piano is amazing. Although mm. there is uh, the the acoustic version is also very nice. Just the the, the oh, John on guitar. Oh, oh, could, could we have a blast of that? Because I haven't see, heard. I haven't really heard that. Is it this one? Let me see. Not on yet. No, this is the raw version, right? Okay. Just one second. I the, the the acoustic version is on an album called John Lennon Acoustic, which I don't have. That's right, um, which I have here. One second. This is the not. This is not the one. One second. You've got everything, Bernardo. I've got a lot of bootlegs. Many years yeah. of collecting. Yeah. Thirty-one. Ah, that's piano too. That sounds nice. Though. Yeah. Just one sec. I'll I'll find it in a second. Okay. Okay. One of the things about love is the lyric couldn't be any simpler. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's a bit like that. Um, there's a verse in the Bible that's a bit like this: "Love is patient, love is kind." Um, I don't know if he was influenced by that, um, but it's a, just a very simple, almost a kind of you know nursery rhyme lyric. It, but that's what makes it so beautiful, I guess, just how simple yes. it is, um, yeah. and and how. Like you can tell that he wrote that song thinking of Yoko and, and oh yeah, and the the way he sings it is is just so vulnerable. So there's a kind of little um, tremor in his voice, mm -hmm. and not in all the versions. So there's one of the versions where they're demoing it, and he says, "Oh, I can't really get into it." And he's kind of sort of singing it in a normal way, but in 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 the final version. It's really, um, yeah, just a um, tr bit trembly, you know, very emotional, very yeah. naked. This is the acoustic version. Love is real, real is love. love is really nice oh it's lovely that's it's really affecting i've got a quotation here this is um from an interview probably from that 1971 interview he says um oh 1970 right the rolling stone one yeah he says i'm more myself now because i've got the security of yoko it's like having a mother and everything so i'm secure in my relationship with her so then i can afford to relax and i think that really comes across that's a that's very nice. 
sorry, let me just turn this off for a second. Is that Clara? <laughs> yeah, that's Clara. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so did you like this version, the acoustic version? Had you heard it before? I probably sorry. heard it about once before. Yeah. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. It's in the um, home tapes um, extra CD that comes with the in the box set with all the um, with all the records that was released, I think, in two thousand and ten. What what um, what box set's that? The I think it's called Eyes, John Lennon Eyes, the one that that had all the out re, the re releases. Oh, that's from. right. Yeah, I know the one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ah, so yeah, it's hiding on there. I think I only discovered that recently. I knew there was a CD of singles. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize there was one called Home Tips. Yeah, yeah. There is a version of Mother God. I found out and and love. Oh, cool, cool. Oh, what should we talk about next? Um, working class hero. What about that one? What do you think of that one? Um, it's it's a great song. First time I ever heard it, I thought it was a, a Beatles song. Right. Actually. Mm-hmm. Even though it probably doesn't sound at all like a Beatles song, um, but- and it was one of the first song I, I songs I tried to play on the guitar because it was so same t- here look that the joy of that song mm-hmm. is it's only two chords so anyone can have a stab at that anyone can play that anyone can play it and nobody can play it properly at the same time <laughs> why is that is it because of the bass ones i think it's just because it of of, the, of how he sings it i guess okay like even when I've heard cover verse, cover versions of the song, it's it's like Green Day did a cover uh, recently. Well, recently, Ooh. like ten years ago, they did a cover version of it. Um, I, it just lacks the, the 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 anger, I guess. Okay. In the performance, is this the first Beatles profanity apart from the accident on Hey Jude? The, it is right. I think so. I think it might be. Yeah, I mean, because that sort of came out of nowhere, and may, and maybe at the time. Yeah, and there aren't many examples of profanity in in solo Beatle albums. Uh, Or in their whole output, really. Yeah. But this, I mean, he was so thrilled with it, he did it twice, right? (laughs) The same song. (laughs) Yeah. Was was it banned by the BBC because of that? Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. My copy of, um, I had a cassette copy of Plastic Ono Band when I first uh, um, got it. And it was interesting, the track order was so different. And it was, you know, three punches. So it was the first three tracks. I don't know if you can imagine it like this, but it was Mother, God, and Working Class. Whoa. So it's just like, I think they really sort of kind of front loaded it. And I was just thinking, oh, this is a superb album, you know. And um, then you had... I well, then, out. I mean, I like the others <laughs> too. I like Love, you know, for example. But yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, I mean, you, you can't live up to those three. Mm, I so think I was reading a little bit about... Um, ha- say, hang on, say that again? Yeah, no, that probably those are the, the three best songs on the album. I think so, yeah. They're my... Yeah. Um, the... I was just reading a little bit about how John Lennon was getting involved with the New Left at that time, um, and kind of a dabbler. I don't, he, I don't think he was a full participant, mm. and um, and so this is that's why I think that was the inspiration of Working Class Hero. Mm-hmm. This kind of idea, you know, that school and society kind of grinds you down. Um, and and sort of makes you into uh, you know a clone into a drone 
And this was uh, very much the theme of um, Marcuse's book at the time, One Dimensional Man, and he was the kind of rock superstar of uh, of university left-wing politics. And John was flirting with that, and this song was kind of his result, the result of it. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think so. Uh, you know, he because he, he had some friends on the new left who wanted him to get more into it. You know, I think he always was one foot in and one foot out of that camp. But this idea that he's the working class hero, because, you know, he wasn't really working class. Or a <laughs> hero. To remember, right? <laughs> he was the most middle class, in a way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, he was the most middle class of the Beatles, for sure. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. And then after that, he became high class. <laughs> like, he was never working class at all. <laughs> he wasn't working class. Uh, I mean, Ringo was more working class and George to an extent. But you look at their houses. Yeah. You know? Paul, Paul said that um, John was uh, the one who lived in, in the nicest house and, and exactly. the rest of them yeah. state yeah. houses. Yeah. 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 Um, there's something very interesting about this recording and is the fact that they added a, a verse um, in the middle of the song and you can kind of hear where it changes. I've ne I, I never, yeah, I, I'm vaguely aware of it. You, does the guitar get tinnier or something? Can you play that Just, bit where they cut it? Yeah, let me see if I can get the bit. It's one minute something. Sorry. One sec, one sec. It's, it's, around to here. it's around here. Okay. When the tortured and yes, said you yes. when he Yeah, you can hear the edit, can't you? The guitar shift. I've always been aware of that little shift, but I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know why it happened. Apparently, he wrote uh, another verse and he wanted to add it into a recording that he had already made of the song. So um, he asked Phil Spector to put it in. So they spliced it together. And they spliced it together, kind of the same way they did Strawberry Fields. Ah, uh, okay. So that that explains it because yep. he would have been sitting in a different uh, place with regard to the microphone and everything. And that's it. That's it. Yes, it's impossible to to replicate the sound of of a guitar in two different takes. I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting with the Phil Spector involvement because he didn't. I mean, unlike all things last pass, which we talked about, which is re really has that wall of sound treatment mm -hmm. on this album, Phil is allowed to do um, to do you know to make the sound bigger and you know obviously the, with the piano and the drums on mother for example he's got an influence in something like that in the sound but there's no sort of trademark Phil Spector um, um, sort of big production on it at all and in fact he only arrived on October the 9th so he only arrived It's in John Lennon's birthday, right? Or the day after. And no, his birthday is the 9th, right? Yeah. His birthday is so the 9th, yeah. Phil was only around, according to John, for a few days. So, you know, they they basically done the recordings, or most of them, and Phil was allowed to do a little bit without um, overwhelming it, which I think was a really good decision. Yeah, for sure. And if you listen to the 1970 interview, uh, John Lennon doesn't refer to well, he doesn't talk about Phil Spector as being a producer, more as being an artist who was collaborating with him and Yoko. Okay, Yoga. interesting. Um, yeah. What do you think of that interview, by the way? I mean, I, I, it's been a year since I've read it, but it's very angry, isn't it? It's very angry, and, and I don't think he means lots of things he says. Um, he talks very badly of, of like, of, of the Beatle albums and 
he talks badly of like his friends and people like Derek Taylor, I think Neil Aspinall and, you know, you're hanging around with a genius and you don't realize it and you, you know, kind of basically saying that they're all parasites and wow. And, and this kind of made me laugh, but it must've hurt at the time. He's called, he calls Paul, I think there might be an expletive, but he calls him Engelbert Humperdinck. Really? <laughs> who, who was a kind of crooner who uh, he was the guy who kept Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane off number one with a kind of, mm-hmm. you know, one of those schmaltzy sort of 60s songs. So, yeah, he was full of bile. I know. It was it was really aggressive, though. He, <laughs> he talked about these people. And, yeah, when he was talking about George Martin, he was saying that George Martin was trying to get the title of the fifth Beatle and and he was saying that he made the Beatles and stuff and that he didn't make them and, and that, yeah. And that his yeah. style of production was more suited to Paul's style of music rather than Okay. His. Yeah. I mean, he had a lot to get off his chest. Do you know that? Um, that's how, yeah, but at the same time, there are loads of things that, that John asked George Martin to do, like yes. adding a lot of echo on a day in the live. The, of course. What we talked about yeah. last week about the vocals in Tom oh. Never Knows. Yes. That, so loads of things that George Martin did in order to, to please John. You know, that's right. So, so it was a um, mean spirited interview. I, yeah. I think so. I think it was very mean. It was very mean. Do you know that you can buy a book of it? Is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it, it's a hard to find book now. It's kind of a rare book, um, but you can pick it up. It's called Lennon Remembers, and it's just it's a whole um, interview in a book. I've actually got the one of the rare things that I've got uh, somewhere is I've got the original Rolling Stone with, I think it came out over two issues, and I've got at least one of those, the original from 1971, yeah. which might be worth something now. I don't know. I'm sure it is. If it, yeah. if, if it hasn't disintegrated, you know. Because it was, was it a newspaper at the time? Yes. Rolling Stone was just a, it was kind of a newspaper that you folded into four. So it was magazine size, but it was basically, uh, you know, when you unfolded it, it's like a newspaper. Yeah. Right. So completely different from rock mags as they were at the end of the decade. Yeah. There's something about Rolling Stone in the seventies that I really dislike. And it's the fact that they were very pro John and very anti Paul. Like, well, yeah, and, and and that went on for years and years and years. Because uh, yeah. I remember in the in the, um, I guess the Beatles had their nadir in the eighties, and really, kind of, they were really out of fashion, and they've never been as out of fashion since. And um, I remember seeing a top poll either in um, Melody Maker or Sounds, so one of the music papers in the eighties of the best albums of all time, right? And at that point. Um, there were no Beatles albums anywhere to be seen, and the number one album of all time, according to this, was 1986, mm-hmm. uh, was the Jesus and Mary Chain Psycho Candy, right? Which I came out in 1986, and the journalist decided that's the best album of all time, right? Mm. And then Plastic Ono Band was the only sign of the Beatles, so Plastic Ono Band was there in the top 10 somewhere. There were no, no other Beatles stuff to be seen. <laughs> wow, the 80s must have sucked. <laughs> <laughs> it was just weird, you know? It was just yeah. Like, yeah. And, and I think, and, and what you were saying about Rolling Stone, like obviously John's more edgy and John's got all this passion and sort of darkness. Yeah. That's why they and, liked it. 
But um, I th who was it? Was it John? Is it John Land Lando? Is that how you say it? The the reporter for Rolling Stone in the seventies, kind of famous guy. Um, and I he wrote the he wrote the review for Ram, and it was very negative. Apparently, he'd written a positive review, and then yeah. he was asked to to change it. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's mm. terrible. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I wonder how the critics. I wonder how the critics rated this album when it first came out. I really don't know. Plasticono band. Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't very big in America. Um, that's what I've read. It's not very radio friendly. It's not very Hi, many singles. Yeah. Sherston's arrived. Hi. <laughs> so we're just talking about John Lennon's first solo album after leaving the Beatles, which is really raw, visceral and confessional. And, um, To some extent, I think I laid the template for people like Kurt Cobain. I'll mention Kurt Cobain because Nevermind is 30 years old today. Oh, is that right? Uh, yep. And um, Kurt Cobain was a huge John Lennon fan, and I imagine it was be, it would be this album that he would be listening to a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about I Found Out? Okay. Uh, what do you think of that? Um, I don't think a lot of it to be honest. No, I'm joking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, You're allowed to say that. Yeah, well, I like the guitar on it. Um, I really do. Mm -hmm. Like, I like the, the, the way it's very simple guitar, but in that 1970 interview, um, he was asked whether he thought he was a good guitarist and he was asked also about, yes. um, he was concerned he about that. Yeah, whether he thought that uh, George was a good guitarist and stuff. And yeah. He was saying that Eric Clapton says I'm a good guitarist, so, I'm, so I must be all right. People he were he was so not obsessed about, at that time about being, you know, uh, very, you know, musical. And, uh, you know, that whole thing. Yeah, exactly. But I think this album is kind of, and, and, and as exemplified by I, I Find Out, it's kind of primitivist. I mean, yeah, it's and just, it's, and that's why, that's why it explains its enduring popularity, I think. I mean, you starting with Cold Turkey, and I found out is another one of those songs that's just so, you know, kind of uncompromising, you know, talk about no frills. Yeah, he said, like, if, if he could do anything, he could make a guitar howl and scream, yep. and, and that's exactly what, what you can hear in, in I Found Out, John Lennon yeah. making the guitar howl. And they put a little bit of tape echo on the, the guitar, so that's, you know, the one thing that they did. Yeah. And the bass is just, the bass, I think, is just one note for a lot of it. And and the drums as well. The, 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 it's, it's a really good um, little kind of trio song, you know. It's, it, it works really well, I think. Have you got the Evolution mix on? Uh, I've got on, it here. Let me see. Because that's got some congas on it. Um, really? Perhaps Ringo playing them. Yeah, and it sounds kind of interesting. sounds nice, but they took them off. Congas or bongos, I can't tell. Is it at the beginning? I don't know. It's sort of halfway through. Okay. Probably all the way through. Let me see. Come in. Okay. I told you before, stay away from my door. Don't give me that brother, 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 brother. The kids on the phone. That's so raw. Yeah, it's really good. So don't give me that brother, 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 brother. No. Oh yeah. Yo, 
he starts shouting Yoko. Yoko, yeah. You know what? Now listening to it now, it kind of reminds me a little bit of "I Want You." She's so heavy. In in as much as that the 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 main guitar riff is is the same, follows the same rhythm as the voice as a vocal. Yes, I mean that's a kind of a. I think that's a blues technique. I don't know so much about the blues, but I think to have the guitar and voice doing the same line, yeah. and of course that was really voguish at the time. Um, I th I think on the evolution mix of one of them Klaus Vorman tries a more sort of fancy bass part and then John obviously says no I just want it to be you know don't 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 to be straight yeah yeah let me see yeah. halfway through it's the same yeah and then towards the end can you hear those congas They're in one of the mixes. They sound good, but um, obviously too fancy. John was such a good singer, such an underrated mm. singer, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And this the, the lyric is kind of, he's dismissing all these kind of hippie delusions, mm -hmm. everything that he's been through. Um, kind of religion and meditation and everything. And this is the Yanov influence again. And he's just mm -hmm. saying, look, um, well, feel your own pain, just confront that pain. That's mm -hmm. the way to get through it. Um, you know, so everything is escapism, religion, drugs, everything is just a way to avoid feeling that pain. But all you need to do is feel the pain because that's the Yanov thing is it's kind of centering pain. It probably wasn't much fun being John round about this time. Or being around him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably not. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good, it's a great guitar riff, I think. Um, yeah. But again, it's probably a song I didn't really pay much attention to until I started playing guitar. Ah, oh, okay. So you, did you learn to play that on guitar? Yeah, I learned to play it on guitar. But it, okay. it was one of those songs that when I was listening to it, I thought, oh, I'd, I'd love to learn how to play that song. But, <sighs> Interesting. But before that, I never really paid much attention to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just what you're saying about him being, you know, uh, miserable to be around. Actually, when you listen to the sessions... Um, and the, the, you know some of the extras on the box set. There's a lot of goofing around, and there's a lot of fun. So I think I get the feeling that even though the songs were written in pain, I think I think John really enjoyed the sessions. That's and, and don't forget they were it was in Abbey Road. And so I think as well, this is not in, in his, at home. He, they, they're in Abbey Road at Studio One, Studio Three. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I have. Um, I, I, I don't know whether I still have it. Um, a DVD of the making of the album. And with interviews okay. with, with, with the people ah, who, who are involved where'd in get, Where'd you get this stuff? I think a friend of mine had given it okay. to me for my birthday, yeah. like when okay. I was maybe 18 or 90. All right. And, um, and yeah, the, the, the memories people had of the recording were, were generally very positive. Yeah, because such a, a tight-knit band. I mean, I, I, I think what you, we've got Ringo, we've got Klaus Foreman, yeah. George comes in for some parts. Matt um, Evans was there as well, helping out. Yeah, and then and Phil Spector comes in at the last minute. Did you know that um, John Leckie was the engineer on some of these tracks? Do you know who he is? No, I don't know who he is. Okay, just this is a sort of a side issue, but it's very interesting to me. So John Leckie became... 
a legend. So he's the engineer on, on this album. And, you know, the engineers have a very important role, especially when the producers aren't there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's the guy at the controls. Now, John Leckie went on to produce um, the Dukes of Stratosphere, who are the psychedelic incarnation of XTC in the 80s. XTC basically hamming it up as kind of Sgt. Pepper's band, if you like. Mm-hmm. So he did two albums with them. And because of the because of the sound of those albums, he was picked uh, deliberately headhunted to produce the Stone Roses album in right. in 1990 which of course or 1988 whenever that came out which of course was the re kind of the reintroduction of psychedelia to the music industry you know the stone roses mm-hmm. so interesting that you know he started off and kind of cut his teeth doing plastic ono band it's really interesting to see how a lot of these people started their careers recording beatles can you mm-hmm. imagine that your first yeah. gig ever was with with a beetle exactly Exactly, yeah. and then, and then the fact that it just um, I just love it that somebody from that era, which is so far in the past now, ends up in the modern era because the Stone Roses are kind of still modern to me, even though they're thirty years old, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Bernardo, just I'm looking at the time, so we have to have to have to talk about God's next. I was thinking exactly the same. Yeah, because this is just. I mean, what do you think of it? Um, I think it's it's my favorite song on on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's a just it's a brilliant song. I've I've always yeah. liked it. Um, not a toe tapper. Not a toe tapper. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's just the emotion. I like the end of the song very much. That part where he goes like I love uh, just that. a dream weaver. That, that like the last oh, section. Yeah. So it's just beautiful. With, the singing with, is beautiful as well. Oh yeah, Absolutely. the dream is over. The um, I love I love the, the the now the structure of the song is absolutely artistic, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's kind of following his feeling rather than a verse chorus sort of structure. So it's a tripartite structure. He builds up to that climax, and then there's the you know the third part comes after the climax, and of course it's also the climax of the album. Right, the whole album sort of builds up to that. And he could have ended there. Yes. That's the other thing that could have been the last track, and the line "the dream is over." The way he sang yes. it, that oh, that and that would have been a, that would have been a great ending in a way. But he, I, I guess he wanted to top and tail the album with his mother. Yeah, which yeah. Well, we're not talking about that song, but um, but yeah, I, I love that section. There is one bit of the song, and I don't know whether it's related to the Beatles or not. But he says, "The dream is over yesterday," and I don't know if that yesterday is is, is referencing almost certainly, almost certainly, because he was so self conscious at the time he couldn't be saying that without a little bit of a reference, right? Yeah, I think. and I always felt he felt bad about not having written yesterday. Because he also made he he, he made a reference in 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 how do you sleep to to yesterday. Right. The only thing you did was yesterday, and since then you're just another day. Yeah, and those lyrics were changed because they they were uh, really insulting before that. The only yeah. thing you done was yesterday, and I can't remember what the line was going to be, but it was horrible. And they said, "Look, change it." Yeah, but he's still so so. He, I don't know whether he just felt bad about not having written yesterday. Or yes, being considered uh-huh. one of the best songs by the Beatles, I guess. I what know. do you think of the kind of uh, the litany of 
you know, they, they, when he's casting off all these beliefs. Can you play a bit of that? Yeah, sure. One sec. Okay. And play the play the kind of climax as well to that part. Um, yes. Let me just find it. Here it is. One second. That's it. I think we can hear this in its entirety. This part. Yeah. Okay. superb i know it's brilliant and and so so well delivered it, it even after all these years it kind of sends a, a shiver up your spine yeah yeah it's beautiful singing yeah and um, one of the things about um um dreamweaver i kind of looked it up because i've always wondered about you know, did he invent this or where did the word come from? So I put it into Google Ngram. I don't know if you know Google Ngram. Mm-hmm. You can sort of trace the history of a word as it's used through books and printed matter, everything that's on Google Books. Mm-hmm. And Dreamweaver really was not used before 1970. Wow. Um, I couldn't find it. So I think he coined that. And then, of course, it became more widely used because in the 90s, Dreamweaver was a desktop publishing program. It still is. Is it? Okay. Well, it's, it, it's owned by Adobe and needs to, to make websites. Yeah. So I always wondered, did John Lennon coin that word? And they sort of liked the word, you know, because, I mean, it seems to go together to weave a dream. But it's also, if he did coin it, I think that's quite poetic. I really like it. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. It's, it's, su- it's such a beautiful song. And also, if you listen to other versions of this song, they're n- nowhere near as good as the one in the album. The one that they chose is, is brilliant. And it's interesting because the, the chord sequence is very, uh, it's, it's what's called a turnaround. So it's kind of very simple, like something like C, A minor, F, and G. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing like there's so many songs written on that, um, you know, the, those chords. And yeah. 
and then he builds it up into this that that huge crescendo and of course i mean how do you think the fans reacted when he sort of goes i don't believe in beatles and he sort of he spits it out like it's a bad word right yeah you know, there's kind of a lot of bitterness there that's what I what we were talking about. I think we talked about it also talking about Revolver. Is the fact that it must it must have been great being in 1970, getting a f- fresh copy of this, putting mm-hmm. it on your record player, and listening to "I Don't Believe in Beatles." Yeah, <laughs> but do you think? I mean, were they? Do you think they felt very disillusioned? And because he's basically saying, I mean, he's been through that journey, like we talked about with "I, I Found Out." And then he's almost saying to the fans, right, I want you to come through that journey too. And I just want you to get rid of all this, um, you know, all these comforts and just just move on and just be yourself. Um, yeah. So it's a very, it's a kind of, um, it, initially it might sound bleak, but of course it isn't, you know, because he's talking about him and Yoko and sort of family life. But it must have seemed to the fans at the time, you know, just to take all of that psychedelia and everything, that whole myth, and just say, well, you know, that's gone. It's gone. It's over. Yeah, it's finished, and now it's just us two. Yeah. So don't you think that would have been a better end of the album? <laughs> I think the, the album should have ended like this. Like this. Perfect ending. Yeah, yeah, it, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been. Well, of course, now you can sequence it like that. Yeah. Um, he was asked in the interview as well why he said Zimmerman and not Bob Dylan. And his answer was because his name is Zimmerman. He's, I'm yes. not John Beetle. I'm John Lennon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, he, does, he mentions his name here for the first time in any, any record as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it comes up a couple of times, like, hold on, hold on, John. It's true, because the walrus was Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are there any songs that you skip? Um, from this, probably, well, My Mum is Dead, I, I seldom play. Okay, uh, um, apart from that one. Is there apart else? from that one, probably Well, Well, Well is a song yeah. I hardly ever play. <laughs> I was going to say, we shouldn't finish on a low note, but I think I, I think that's a poor song. Yeah. And, uh, I think he could have replaced it with anything that he had lying around at the time. He could have. Look at me, I really like um, you can you can see that he wrote this in in '68 when he was in India because he's using that Donovan picking technique. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's oh nice the, yeah the, the Donovan one is um, um, there's another one. Um, um, look at me. That's the that's the one with the you know just the same picking pattern, and that's really a, a, quite a nice song. Yeah, it's a nice song. It doesn't say much, I guess, but um, but it's a, it's a lovely song. Very sweet, very kind of haunting. What am I supposed to be? Uh, so that sounds almost like something off the White Album, doesn't it? It could have been in instead of Wild Honey Pie, I think. Yeah, or Revolution Number Nine. Why? Why do you think? I mean, last this is the last minute now. Why do you think um, he didn't make any other albums like this? Do you think it was only possible to make one? I mean, he all he he never lost the autobiographical thing after this, right? I mean, no, he, that, that stayed with him kind of in and out for the rest of his career. Well, I think Double Fantasy perhaps is the closest one to this. Um, yes. The, the only difference is because of something we haven't mentioned is the fact that there were two Plastic Ono Band album, re- albums of released. Course. Of one course. By, one by Yoko, one by John with the same cover, 
butt with a pos- with the the sitting next to a tree. So yes. I think in, in John's, I think John is is laying on Yoko, and in that's right. Yoko's is the opposite, right? Yes, exactly. So I've never heard Yoko's. I have to say, I never heard the other version. Um, Nor have I. It's supposed to be avant-garde, you know, quite electronic. I mean, because she got a lot of um, she got a lot of respect for that in later years. Because um, uh, um, I guess her work on Double Fantasy came to everybody's attention, and you know, she's done some pretty good stuff. I think Walking on Thin Ice is amazing. Mm. Um, and I almost bought it by mistake because I saw it on vinyl at, at like 20 euros or something. And I was like, I'm going to get it. Plastic Ono Band, 20 euros on yeah. vinyl? Great. And then I checked, no, 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 there's something wrong with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. But apparently, so now um, just something you should know is that John Lennon's guitar on the Yoko album is superb because he's, you know, th- there's no pressure. You know, and and uh, and and if the guitar on Walking on Thin Ice is anything to go by, that's some of the best guitar he ever did. I think that's absolutely superb. So there might be a, a treat lying in wait there. Yeah, well, I'm I'm going to check it out. My point was before that um, Double Fantasy was kind of the same thing, with the exception that it wasn't two records and it wasn't yet. Yes. It was only one. Yeah, so it's similar. Yeah, and and I at the time he was the only person who kind of wrote about himself like that. And a lot of people say, oh, it's self-indulgent, but I just thought it was really from the heart and uh, really appreciated that, you know, and then, and I went on to write songs myself and I, and I just thought, right, I'm going to write about me. Sure. I didn't put my name in it, but you know, I just thought, yeah, I'm going to write from the heart. And uh, so it really influenced me, you know, cause you know, I just thought, well, if you can do this, why do anything else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair mm-hmm. enough. I yeah. do think I, I I do miss John writing other types of songs though. Um, sort of like Tomorrow Never Knows, or mm-hmm. or I don't know, or Nowhere Man, that kind of thing. Well, um, walls and bridges, stuff like that. You know, he, you know, yeah, maybe you find some of mind games. N- not one of my favorite album, uh, Walls and Bridges. Yes. I'm afraid. Um, but but yeah, that there's some great songs. Time. Yeah, that's Did for another time. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Thank you, Nabila. Thank you, Sherston, for coming along. And we will probably do the next one in two weeks' time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll advertise in the same places. And we're not sure exactly what we'll do, but we'll probably do a Paul album. Yep. I think yeah. we'll announce it on, on Instagram, right? Yes, and, and everywhere, yeah. and all your favorite platforms. <laughs> okay, have a nice weekend, Bernardo. And you too, Neil. Yeah, okay. Bye. Have a Bye good for time. now.